0: You this morning to turn in your Bibles to the Book of Matthew, Chapter Twelve. Matthew, Chapter Twelve. My daughter last night was asking about my notes, and here they are. I have notes this morning, so. Matthew chapter 12, beginning verse 38, a very short passage we're going to read this morning. And then we're going to jump over to the book of Jonah. So, if you want to be prepared to do that our through our Bible reading here. Matthew chapter 12, beginning verse 38. God's word declares, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. Now if you'll turn with me in the book of Jonah since we have been introduced to him by Christ and perhaps we have chapter 1 verse 15 it says so they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly, and he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The waters surrounded even me even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit. O oh Lord, my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice to you the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out onto dry ground, dry land. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth, from the greatest to the least of them. Then word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, "...covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell?" If God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Then God saw their works that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. I'll give them a few moments to get back here from dropping off their children. I think I'm still got power. Yes? The question that we want to really address this morning, I want to say this evening because I feel like I'm already into the evening message, but we're not. The question we want to really address this morning as we consider our Lord's resurrection is what does it take to believe? What does it take to believe it? As Jesus interacted with the religious leaders of his day, They encountered so much of his activity, it seems obnoxious for them to then come to him and say, we want a sign. They had already been given plenty of evidence of his majesty, of who he was, from his birth and all that was entailed there. And if you think that was done in a corner that nobody knew about that, you need to read the accounts a little more closely. Because what we find about the birth of Christ is that it was well known throughout Bethlehem It extended into Jerusalem. It was evident to everyone, both by the coming of John the Baptist and his extensive ministry throughout the whole region, that this was the time of the Messiah, that he was the Elijah to come. That he was the one that was the precursor of the Messiah. So, this is not something that suddenly appeared upon them without any idea. There had been months and months and months of preparation by God. In fact, years. Because we could even take it back farther than the birth of Christ. And we could even go to the announcement of the birth of John the Baptist. Which happened in Jerusalem, in the temple. And it was well published throughout all that Zechariah had seen an angel, that he was going to have a son. This is an old couple that were childless. They were going to have a son in their old age. And to every Israelite, that would immediately draw their attention. That takes them all the way back to the founding of Israel, to Abraham and Sarai. Abram and Sarai, who became Abraham and Sarah. For that was the beginning of Israel, really, was back there in the promise of God through angelic messengers that you're going to have a child nine months from now or so, and you'll be the, the son of promise. And so we have had all of this going on. And remember, this was not a year or two prior to the account we have here, Matthew 12, but it was 30 years prior. 30 to 35 years. They have had time to examine and to consider the importance of John the Baptist, his ministry. Unless you lose track of it and think that they didn't hear anything for 30 years, remember that John the Baptist had a public ministry already that has, at this point had come to a close. That his ministry was finished, which tells you immediately, well, there has to be a Messiah now. And yet, the religious leaders, instead of directing people's attention to preparation for receiving the Messiah, we're instead standing in opposition to Him. You see, it's not about information, it's not about access that determines belief. Just because you have lots of access to the information about Jesus Christ, about His birth, about His life, about the events around there, if you're celebrating, Christmas and Easter every year, um, does not equal that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. These people had lots of information about the Messiah. They knew exactly what to be looking for. And for these kind of people to come up to Jesus with this challenge, show us a sign and I'll believe. Now, I have to confess before you that that is largely the attitude that you will encounter today in this nation overwhelmingly when you confront them with the truth of the gospel. Show me a sign to believe it. And unfortunately, too many within the Christian community have gone into the realm of thinking that that is an appropriate thing to do, to try to come up with signs Well, we do this, we do this, we have healings, we have these kinds of things, activities. And nowhere in Scripture is that a necessity for belief. In fact, this passage alone would speak against it. For Christ says that you don't need any more signs. You want more evidence than what there already is? There's only one piece of evidence that you still need. I've already come as I've promised. Born in Bethlehem Ephrathah, born of a virgin, the Elijah's already come. I've already performed miracles. you already hear my teaching. You've already gotten all of that. You have all that you need. There's only one thing left for me really to fulfill at this point, and that is a sign of Jonah. And you're going to get that. And do you think that that's going to be enough? No, these same people are going to oppose the church when we get to the book of Acts. They're going to be given the sign of Jonah. They're going to be prophetically told, listen, you're going to get the sign of Jonah. He's going to tell them a different way later. He says, he's going to destroy this, this temple in three days and I'll raise it up. And they thought that he meant the physical building on the Temple Mount there in Jerusalem. Uh, they didn't quite understand. He's referring to his own body. He says, you destroy this body in three days it'll I'll raise it up. Um, and so they misunderstood that, but here they asked for a sign. He very clearly tells them, point blank, here's the only thing left for you to look for, and that is that the Son of Man will be three days three nights in the heart of the earth. He will rise again, just as Jonah uh, was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish. This is what it will be. That will be the final sign. I will be in the heart of the earth and then will come forth. The idea isn't that he will stay there, but that he will come out of that condition and be resurrected. That will be the final sign. So I don't need to give you any more information. And we need to be content that, that we don't need to give the world any further evidence than the evidence of Jesus Christ. It is not the lack of evidence that keeps people from believing in Jesus. It isn't the lack of evidence that keeps us from acknowledging God's Word. And it's truth, it's power, it's authority. That when it says something, it means it, and it means it for everybody. Because these men, who were students of God's Word, who were the religious leaders of the day, didn't get it. Even after being told, here's what's going to happen in the future, the Son of Man, that's me, he calls himself the Son of Man regularly, during his ministry, so they knew who he was referring to. Once I get in the grave for three days and be resurrected, then that'll be the last sign, the last piece of evidence that you need. But we find something out about a, the people who ask for more information than that. I want more evidence. I want something I can see, I can hear, I can um, taste, I can touch um, before I'll believe. And here's how Jesus describes such a day, a group, a people. In verse 39 of Matthew 12, he says, He answered, said, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. Wow. Not just person, but generation. An entire generation is captivated by evil and adultery that in that condition, that's the kind of people who ask for signs. And Jesus says, the only thing you really have is the resurrection. I want to share with you, this is the confrontation that you have with the world. This is the nail in the coffin of every false system of religion, is the resurrection. We need to be confronting people with the resurrection. It is the final evidence, the sign And that's the only one, Jesus said, that they're going to be given. If they don't believe that, what can they believe? What more can be done to make them believe? They want more evidence than what he has already given. He says, then I'll just give you one more. And that is the resurrection itself. And we want to, first of all, understand this is what sets Christianity apart. Um, we have no grave. We have no memorial. We have no coffin that we visit. There is no dead hero here. Confucius is dead. Buddha, all of them are dead. There was more than one. Mohammed is dead. We have his. Grave here. You go through the religions of the world and they are dead. And they cannot offer life because there is no life in those that founded them. What stands apart and singular about our faith is that we serve a living Savior. We claim the most ridiculous, most easily verified false, verified to be false claim that our Savior Jesus Christ rose from the dead after three days easily could have been squelched in its very infancy in Jerusalem, in Israel, in the Roman Empire. Easily. The fact that it took root was not the fact that people wanted to believe gossip but that that was a sign. It was the evidence, the last final evidence of Christ's ministry that he would provide. Now, this was an evil, adulterous generation. There was going to be, at Pentecost, the gift of tongues. There were going to be healings. Um, They became more and more difficult. As you go through the book of Acts, you'll find them less and less often used and more and more misunderstood, um, which tells us something about them. But they are really for one generation and for one people group that we really come down to what does Christ really offer? And he offers his resurrection as the pinnacle evidence of the truth of all of God's Word. Prove it wrong. Prove it wrong. And by the way, um, that is what we most often do through science. Science is, I was taught as a chemistry major that the easiest thing to do is to prove things wrong. It's really, really hard to prove things right. All right, so we have theories. There's lots of theories in science, and there's state theories because we can't prove them to be always true in every circumstance. So they stay a theory. But proving things wrong, that's easy. And in fact, that's always the goal, It should be always the goal of honest science, is we're trying to prove things wrong, not prove things to be true. And so it goes out, prove it wrong, and we have had all this opportunity, and every time the world thinks that they have accomplished that, if they fall on their face, because they're still digging stuff up in their <laughs> There's no such person as Pontius Pilate until they found his name. In Caesarea Philippi, by the sea, here's his name, in stone. Pontius Pilate. They cannot prove it wrong. It is the final sign of Christ's ministry life on earth. And he says, if you want to confront an evil and adulterous generation, I believe we have such a thing here before us. You confront them with the resurrection. It is the final sign. And Christ says, That's all I'm going to give you. That's You don't need any more. Um, you've seen enough. You've known enough. You have access to it. And let's uh, be honest that, that people in the United States have the clearest, easiest access to biblical information than any people on the earth. It, it, it surrounds them, it is at your fingertips, on your computers. It is, uh, we publish more Bibles in this nation than have been published anywhere else in the world in all history. Published right here in this country. It is easily accessible. It is um, uh, largely, to some degree, evident in our culture still, although it's waning, certainly. Uh, We have all this access to information, yet we have an evil and adulterous generation that won't believe what is being made available to them. And Jesus said, There's only thing one left. There's only one thing left to confront you with. And that's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So when we celebrate this on Easter, why do we make such an effort to confront people with the gospel message this time of year, maybe even more so than Christmas is this time of year? Because the resurrection is the final sign of Jesus Christ. Is the final evidence that he is who he says he is, that all that he taught is true. We cannot discount this one. You know, you can discount these other men, but people won't. But you cannot discount Christ's claim to be a resurrected Lord. Prove it wrong. Produce the body. Anyone could have done that anywhere along the line. It is an absurd claim. And yet, they had every evidence from Scripture pointing to Christ, and they would not believe. In fact, as you go farther on, and and you look at the days right before they crucified our Lord, I want to help you remember one event that happened that was a real problem for those religious leaders. And that was a few days before the Passion Week of Christ, which we just, which we are concluding today. A few days before that, Jesus Christ raised a guy called Lazarus from the dead, who had been dead in the tomb himself for a few days. Christ has come forth. He said, Lord, he stinks by now. You don't want him coming out of the grave. He says, oh, come on, bring him out. And and another text that in John 11, where Christ says, I am the resurrection and the life. All you have to do is believe in me. We're going to go there here very soon. But we find that here is the power of the resurrection that the Pharisees and Sadducees of the religious leaders of the day were access to. And instead of believing, you know what they did? We have to do something to stop this. Instead of being that which moved them to trust in Christ and to follow Him as their Messiah, it moved in their heart to want to kill Him. It is one of the Breaking points for them was that this guy, Lazarus, who was dead, is walking around. And they couldn't say a word. And so what filled their heart? Not submission, not humility, not repentance, hate. They wanted to kill Christ. And that was one of the leading evidences there. If you, well, let's go to John 11. I said, I'm going to go there. Let's go ahead and go there now. It's one of the leading facets of their wanting to kill him and not let him pursue his ministry. And John 11 is the death of Lazarus. Let's pick it up a little bit later. Uh, verse 17, so when Jesus came, he found that he was already in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. Many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You can heal the sick. Can you raise the dead? But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, and this is a great confession, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Praise the Lord. She believed in the resurrection. Remember, this is before Jesus had been raised from the dead. This is before Lazarus had been raised from the dead. She says, I believe that at the end of all things, there is going to be a resurrection. Because it is in the scriptures. She believed that. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is Come into the world. Kind of an interesting confession again. So here is this gal who just lives just out there, just a little bit away from Jerusalem and Bethany. And and uh, I believe in the resurrection at the end. I believe that you are the Christ. And Christ says, well, if you believe in the resurrection, and you believe in me, these two go together. Don't divorce these two. And she doesn't. He says, do you believe that I am the resurrection and life? And she says, I believe you are the Messiah. This is a common understanding of the Jewish people that the Messiah was going to be the one responsible for the resurrection. And so for her to believe in the resurrection and to believe in the Messiah was equivalent. You are the Christ. That is the, word, the Greek word for the Messiah, you're the Christ. You're the Savior. You're the Deliverer. So when he says, do you believe in the resurrection that I can raise you from the dead and never die, she doesn't say, I believe that you can raise them from the dead. She says, I believe you're the Christ. Both of these confessions are essentially the same. I believe in the resurrection I believe in the Christ. Because in the Hebrew mind, they had been linked together. And if Martha knew this. Certainly, the religious leaders of the day knew this. As soon as you believe in the resurrection, you have to acknowledge the Messiahship. And so here's Lazarus walking around as one raised from the dead. Now, he's going to die. He's not going to live forever. And so what are they confronted with? What are you going to do? Well, (laughs) it didn't help. In fact, it moved them not to believe but to desire to destroy. So we find in Scripture that the call to believe in Christ the resurrection is what sets us apart. And it's an understanding that this is the final evidence. And we call people to it. You need to believe this. Well, what does it mean when you have a belief system built upon someone who was raised from the dead. What does it mean? Because Jesus is going to say some really strong words about those who don't believe it and don't acknowledge it. So here's what it means. If you have a living Lord who has conquered sin and death, we talked about the victory side of it this morning. Um, Today I want to talk, or this (laughs) later this morning, now I want to really discuss what does it mean to believe in that and not just know about it. To participate in it. And for this, I want to take you to the ones that Jesus recounts there in Matthew. To the religious leaders, he goes to them and he says, Listen, I'm going to give you two groups of Gentiles. And I'm going to condemn you with Gentile testimony. Phenomenal thing. Oh, how... I mean, he almost was goading them to anger over this. I mean, these are the religious Jewish leaders of the day. And Jesus says, there are going to be two groups of people that are going to condemn you. One is going to be the people of Nineveh, and the other one is going to be a queen from the south who came to visit Solomon. We're not going to focus on the queen of the south. We're going to focus on the people of Nineveh. Because they're going to tell us how to respond to the power of the resurrection. So if you'll turn again in your Bibles to Jonah. What does it mean that we need to respond to this last sign? Jonah is a very little book. There we go. It's having a hard time finding it. I should have marked that one and kept Matthew. Well, Jonah comes out of The belly of the fish, and I would love to spend some time talking about his prayer. Um, You'll probably be willing to sit here through it, but I want to press on. We might get back to it a little bit because it does have some importance theologically to what Christ is claiming. But I want to look at the response of the Ninevites. Remember, Jesus says, The people of Nineveh are going to rise up when? At the day. What day? The day of the resurrection. They're going to rise up the day of the resurrection, which tells you something. They are among the people of God. They're going to participate in the resurrection that Martha says she believed in at the last days. So that makes them part of the people of God, even we, though we have no evidence they ever accepted the law of Moses. None of them that we know of got circumcised. None of that. This is a pure, by-faith reception of the truth of God's Word. And one of the power of that, the power of that, not one of, but the power of that is the resurrection. And they had walking in their midst a sign, a picture, a, a uh, type. that uh, we, we call those types. In other words, they presage or pre-show uh, Christ. And walking in their midst. His name was Jonah. I don't know what you think a guy looks like after he gets out of the belly of a fish that so he's been in there for three days. Um, I would love to see that. I really would. I, I, would have, I would have not liked to have been a Ninevite and be in that trouble. But um, he entered that town, and I want you to notice, he did nothing but declare God's judgment. Because Jonah really wasn't excited about getting everybody saved there in Nineveh. He kind of wanted God to destroy him in 40 days. And to be quite honest, sometimes I feel that way about the world too. Um, But Jonah was going through there and I I don't know how well he preached. Um, It does say that he cried out, 40 days Nineveh shall be overthrown. There's no more to his message than that except for himself. Having spent three days and three nights in the belly of a fish and being coughed up onto the shore, you kind of wonder if there were some witnesses to this whole thing that watched this happen, watched him come out of a fish and start walking through the town of Nineveh and what he looked like. And that's all the Ninevites needed to see. They didn't see him raised from the dead. They didn't have a Lazarus walking around town. They didn't have any other signs, they didn't have any other miracles, they didn't have any other teaching. They had no access that we know of to God's word We had other than this word of the Lord, which Jonah was preaching. That's all that they had. And they responded and said, what can we do? Verse 5 of chapter 3 of Jonah says, So the people of Nineveh believed, not Jonah, they believed God. They believed God. Well, what does that look like? Well, they proclaimed a fast, they put on sackcloth, the grace least of them. The king himself joins them. This is called mourning. This is called godly sorrow for their sin. They proclaim a, a Law throughout the land, hoping that they can turn God, and so they're going to turn and repent with the hope that God will turn and relent. In verse 9, the king sums it up by Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? And God saw that that was what he wanted. They turned away from their evil ways. I'm not going to tell you that the way you believe is by praying a prayer. I'm not going to tell you the way of belief is a matter of you earning something. No. The way of belief should transform you, as we talked about this morning, into a new life. A new life that looks like this. It says, I don't want to do evil anymore. I want to be righteous. I want to be like Christ. And I know that in my old life, that I had violence in my hands, I had evil in my way, Uh, and that's how the king described his whole people of Nineveh, and it was accurate. They were an evil and adulterous generation. They were violent, they were wicked, they were evil. They were the epitome of it. Um, When you talked about evil, you didn't talk about um, Las Vegas, you talked about Nineveh back then. That's where you go to sin. That was Sin City. Jonah goes in with just the sign of his own presence there. When he tried to run from God, God says, oh, no, you don't. He gets, spends three days, three nights in the belly of a fish, is spit up on shore and walks into town. Whatever his appearance We find that it had an impact, and his message was believed. No access that we have any record of to anything else but this message. And so we go forth, and we recognize that the most evil is not to be violent, not to be like the Ninevites, the greatest evil, the most adulterous generation, that keeps asking for signs, is one that has all the information and is never satisfied that they have enough to believe. The Ninevites had very little knowledge, but they believed what they knew. They heard Jonah and they thought he meant it, and he did. And they said, whatever he looked like, they looked at him, heard what he had to say, and it was like, Okay, we got to fix this because that God can destroy us. If he can get this guy to come to us out of the belly of a fish, I have to believe somebody saw this happen. How much more evil those who have all this access to this information and yet say, I want more proof. I want more proof. Christ says the resurrection is the, the end of the matter. If you don't believe that, what will you believe? We were confronted with this earlier in Jesus' account of the rich man, Lazarus, and, and the whole idea of if they won't believe the prophets, will they believe that even if I send you someone from the dead? No. And so, if we don't accept the resurrection and the testimony of it, what are you left with? Well, Jesus says, you're going to be Condemned by people of Nineveh. They're going to rise up and condemn you because they didn't see it. All they did was heard and they believed. And so Christ condemns this generation because they did not believe. You see, it's not about the evidence, really. It's about your choice. I can pray before you all kinds of evidence of the resurrection. And if you're waiting for that because you won't trust the testimony of the original witnesses in God's word, it will never be enough to persuade you. You will never be persuaded into the kingdom of heaven. And so we simply and clearly and directly declare Christ is risen from the dead. He is alive today, and you must deal with him. You will either be condemned, or you will be blessed, depending upon whether you reject or accept him as your Savior and Lord. You will either suffer or enjoy the fact of his resurrection, but you will be affected by it. For our Savior is alive. So you must reckon with him. One day you will have to face him. Either as your Lord and Savior or as your judge. You will face him because he is alive. And Jesus says there's going to be some people who are going to be raised up on the day of resurrection. And they are going to be over here in my favor. They are going to be over here in a place of blessing. I will be their Savior and Lord because they trusted in me and turned from their evil ways and did what was right. They became followers of me. And they're going to be Ninevites. Can you imagine that? I mean, that's right up there with Samaritans in the Jewish leader's eyes. They're going to be Ninevites. Condemn you, because they're gonna stand on this side on that day of resurrection. And on the other day of that day of the resurrection, the second resurrection, you're gonna be on this side, and on this side, you're I'm gonna be your judge, and they're gonna be my witnesses. They are gonna come up and say, You should have believed. You had more evidence than we did, and we believed. So you cannot claim there isn't enough evidence for you to believe. There is that is an arrogant false claim. It boils down to the reason you don't believe is because you don't want to. And no amount of evidence will convince you otherwise. And this is the epitome of pride and stubbornness. And Jesus Christ condemns these men and their pride and stubbornness and saying, I'm going to give you the sign of Jonah at the end. Later on, just in the next chapter, he's going to describe for them that um, he's going to be, how he's going to die, that he's going to be hung on a tree. He lays it all out before these men, but it's still not enough. The resurrection happens. It's still not enough. Here are fishermen walking around preaching the gospel like they know the scriptures better than you do because they do. Not by training, but by the Holy Spirit's illumination. And it's still not enough. Lame men are walking, and it's still not enough. Why? Because no matter what you do, if you won't accept the resurrection, nothing else can be done. Nothing compares to it. There's no miracle on earth that can compare to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you won't accept that as the evidence of the truth of the Scriptures, there's nothing more we can do. How much bigger a thing do you need? The fact is is that it's not about the evidence. It's about the condition of your will. You have hardened your heart against any evidence. And so Christ condemns them. Either you accept it, the Ninevites did. I want you to notice it was three days journey into Nineveh and Jonah only went one day and things happened. You know what that means? He only got through one third of the city, and already everybody was snapping. He didn't get all the way across the city before the king knew what was going on. One day's journey in, and they were ready to hear it. And these this was Sin City. Because they believed God. If you truly want to know the truth and you really seek after it, Jesus says. Believing in him is easy. Once you want to. It's fascinating why I hear the testimony of people that says, I just wanted to know the truth, and I was searching, 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 and then I found the truth. You see, most of the individuals we encounter believe that they are the truth. They put themselves in the place of God, like many of the religious leaders of that day. And they don't want to hear any evidence or any proof to the contrary of their current proud positions. The Ninevites, in one out of three days, the evidence was it was supposed to, he was going to walk from one end of the city to the other end of the city. He never got there. Well, I'm sure he got there. But before he even got there, after one day, one third of the way through, the city was already responding because they believed. They didn't need all the evidence. And here are these individuals, and, and many that we encounter in our society have plenty of access to the knowledge of the Scriptures. It's a fact of whether they choose to believe, not whether the evidence is there for them to believe. And so we come to the spirit of man as the defining element of, I do not choose to go out and try to prove to the world by any of my miracle hand or anything like that that God is who he is and has done what he has done for them. We have the testimony of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and that is sufficient for those who want to believe. And if they are disposed not to, even predisposed in their hearts, not by God's will, but by their will, not to there is nothing we can do for there is no miracle greater than christ's resurrection to convince you of the gospel of jesus christ so this is our message to the world christ is risen will you believe it once you believe that now you are confronted with following after like the ninevites believing it was one thing but then they moved them to action immediately we believe, and now we'll follow. And so we call you to become a follower of Jesus Christ. By the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the final evidence, and if that is not sufficient to move you from unbelief to belief, then nothing I can say or do will ever change. You have hardened your heart, and God calls you to soften it, to respond to his message, to the power of the resurrection, to transform your life, from being dead and caught and slaved and chained in sin to being alive and living to God in righteousness. This is the message of the resurrection. This is the message we share. This message must be accepted by the world. And nothing need be added to it by the works of man. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you again for the power of your son's resurrection that we might know